for the past week or so, we've been looking at gifts and uh, particularly spiritual gifts. I didn't design it this way. It was providential that so many episodes uh, touched on this topic. Last week, we looked at the question, uh, what are my skills worth? That was APJ 1857. If you're a carpenter, mechanic, plumber, doctor, or a lawyer, if you have some skill that people in the church assume you will share with them for free, listen to that episode, APJ 1857. And then we looked at what distinguishes my life from non-Christians, APJ 1858, uh, an episode sparked by a question on um, spiritual gifts. And then we asked a related question to that, uh, what makes my gift a spiritual gift? That was last time in APJ 1859. Today we close out the week with an email from a listener named Kara. Kara says she has no spiritual gift at all, none. Now what? Here's her email, Pastor John, hello, I've been a believer for about a dozen years now, but I don't seem to have any spiritual gifts. I really feel like a talentless and sinful mess. Does this mean that the Spirit does not actually dwell in me? How can I discover my purpose in Him and fulfill 1 Peter 4, verse 10? I think I have really good news for Kara, but I need to say a warning first. Mm. She says, I feel like a talentless and sinful mess. Here's the warning. There is a fundamental difference between talents and sins. If it were true, and I don't think it is true, that she were without any talents, that would not be a spiritually serious problem. Really. (laughs) God does not judge us on the basis of whether we have talents or not. But to be a sinful mess is a huge problem. God does judge sin. He hates sin. If Kara's life is spiraling down into sin, that's a very urgent matter. And my warning is, fight that, Kara, as we all must, fight that with all your might, all God's might in you, put to death sinful attitudes and words and deeds by the Spirit, by laying hold on the promises of God and trusting Him to satisfy you more than any sinful path of pleasure could. Okay, that's my warning. Now to the main thing that she's concerned about. Maybe she just Maybe she's overstated the case there. I hope so. But in any case, here's the main thing she's asking about. She says, I don't seem to have any spiritual gifts. Does this mean that the Spirit does not actually dwell in me? How can I discover my purpose in Him and fulfill 1 Peter 4.10? So the first thing to say is that Kara does have spiritual gifts. I'm going to take Kara's word for it that She has been a Christian for, she says, about a dozen years. I'm going to assume, and I think it's right to assume, that she's truly a daughter of the living God through faith in Christ. That's how I know she has a spiritual gift, because God said it in his word. For example, in 1 Peter 4.10, he does not say, Peter doesn't say, if each has received a gift. That's not what he says. He says, as each has received a gift. 
use it. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He does not say, to some Christians are given those manifestations, but rather to each Christian is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Or a third way to say it is that every Christian is part of the body of Christ. By definition, that makes everyone an ear or eye or eyebrow or foot or finger or tooth or tongue. Paul is speaking of every Christian when he says in Romans 12, 4, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, we Christians, all of us, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And every member of a body has a function. So my conclusion from these texts is that to be a Christian is to be a member of the body of Christ, and to be a member of the body of Christ is to have a role in the body which is essential to the body. Not flashy, not prominent, but essential. In fact, Paul is at pains to make sure that no Christian, no matter how insignificant they feel, feels excluded from the body. Here's how he says it, and I think this is really relevant for Kara's question. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make him any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. As it is, he writes now, verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 1 Corinthians 12, 15 to 18. Now, it seems to me that these words are almost perfectly suited to help Kara not feel despairing about her role in the body of Christ. These people at Corinth that he's quoting, these people were looking at their own relative weakness and feeling totally insignificant because they, they weren't like others. They didn't have the gifts of others. They weren't an ear. They were only a finger. Now, I wonder what Kara would say if someone asked her whether people with profound mental disabilities, but with a simple faith, are part of the body of Christ. Hmm. And I think she would say, yes, they are. And Paul has something amazing to say that I think relates to that extreme case and to Kara's as well. He says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 25. 
So Paul is willing to go so far as to say that the gift that some people have in the body of Christ is to be weak and needy so that others may have opportunity to show them special care. Now, I doubt that's the case with Kara. I don't think so. But I mention it so that she will perhaps reorient her thinking about the body of Christ and perhaps not have expectations about the nature of spiritual gifts that make her feel so inadequate. So let me touch on one more thing that she asks about, namely, can I discover my purpose or how can I discover my purpose and fulfill 1 Peter 4.10? In other words, what's her next step forward from this point of discouragement? And I think there's a clue to answering that question in verse 10 itself in 1 Peter 4. Here's what the verse says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So one way to define spiritual gifts on the basis of this verse is that they are simply the outworking of our experience of the grace of God expressed through our personality. Or to say it another way, we look away from ourselves to the grace of God to use us, and then we set our hearts to love people by God's grace, to show God's grace to people, to channel God's grace through ourselves, through our God-given personalities in whatever way feels natural to us. And that way of loving people will probably turn out to be blessed by God. That is a gift. I'm encouraged to say this because in uh, Romans 12, verses 6 and 8, Paul calls some pretty ordinary things spiritual gifts. For example, he says, let the one who contributes do it with generosity. Let the one who leads with zeal. Let the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, Kara, don't make it your aim to discover your gift. (laughs) I know it's counterintuitive, but let me say it again. Don't make it your aim to discover your gift. Rather, make it your aim to love people for Christ's sake. And then do it in in as many ways that feel natural to your personality as you can. I think in doing that, you will discover your purpose and you will fulfill 1 Peter 4.10. Really good. Thank you, Pastor John. This episode reminds me of our last episode, What Makes My Spiritual Gift Spiritual? Um, ABJ 1859. That was Wednesday. If you, if you didn't hear that, make sure you go back and listen to that episode. Well, thank you for joining us today. You can ask a question of your own, search our growing archive, or subscribe to the podcast all at askpastorjohn.com. And speaking of spiritual gifts and mission, if you have any inclination towards missions, uh, you should read, you must read John Piper's classic book, 
Let the Nations Be Glad, The Supremacy of God in Missions. It's a modern-day classic, and it has just turned 30 years old, that book. It has sold 300,000 copies, over 300,000 copies now. And to celebrate, we have just released a special 30th anniversary edition of the book as a hardcover. We're going to talk about it next time. I'm your host, Tony Ranke, and we'll see you back here on Monday.